Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. On our 19th episode, we're going to talk about an issue that some would say has been overshadowed or overlooked due to the pandemic. Now, I teach a class at the College of Public Health here in Little Rock, and if I'd asked my class what they thought was the number one health issue in 2019, they would have said opioids. Now, we know that there are a multitude of challenges in health and health care, but opioid misuse and abuse are certainly at the top of the list. In 2016, more than 42,000 Americans died from opioid overdoses. And since 2000, deaths involving opioids has increased by 200%. In 2018, the opioid dispensing rate in Arkansas was about 81 prescriptions per 100 people. Now, that's the second highest among all states and well above the national rate at 47 per 100 people. But it's considerably lower than where it was just several years ago. And that's due to a number of factors. There has certainly been increased awareness about the dangers of opioids. There are the horrific photos and videos of parents in the front seat of their car lying comatose or dead from an overdose while a baby cries in the back seat. And there's been gradual policy change as the epidemic has progressed over the last decade, with enhanced penalties for doctor shopping, a prescription drug monitoring program that requires prescribers to check the system before they prescribe, guidelines from state medical boards to curb overprescribing, drug take-back programs, and requirements to co-prescribe naloxone, which is an overdose reversal medication, for those individuals who have high-dose opioid prescriptions. There has been progress on the prevention front, but there remain challenges in addressing the opioid epidemic, particularly on access to treatment for those who are saddled with addiction. And unfortunately, the progress that we saw leading up to the year 2020 has been stifled by the pandemic, which has increased anxiety and stress due to social isolation, disruption in treatment, economic instability, social unrest, drastic changes in people's daily lives, and the production of stronger, more lethal drugs laced with fentanyl or other synthetic opioids. At the same time, some of the culprits that have contributed to the opioid epidemic are being brought to justice through the court system. So, to talk with us today about that topic is Colin Jorgensen, who is litigation counsel for the Arkansas Association of Counties. And he was in private practice for a couple of years at the Wright, Lindsay, and Jennings firm here in Little Rock before serving a decade in the civil litigation department of the Arkansas Attorney General's office. He is serving a six-year term on the Arkansas Judges and Lawyers Assistance Program Committee, or JLAP, which is an assistance program for those suffering from addiction or mental illness. And he has written eloquently about the curse and the blessing of the pandemic for alcoholics. He earned his bachelor's degree in political science and philosophy. Not sure those haven't really merged at this point. (laughs) From the University of Oklahoma, by the way, welcome to the SEC and his Juris Doctor from the University of Michigan. Thank you for joining me today, Colin. I appreciate you uh, being on the show. 
Thank you for having me, Craig. All right. Now, um, we're going to get to the serious stuff, I promise you. But before we get there, tell me what keeps you busy while you're not working. Okay. Um, Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Thank you to Akai and you for what you all do. Um, I follow you all very closely, your work with the pandemic, your work on the opioid epidemic and public health generally, and it's a great resource for Arkansas. I'm honored to be here. Um, What do I do to keep busy outside of work? Uh, My life is very busy, but I have learned to keep the perspective that life is full, and that's a blessing. And so I spend a lot of my time with my beautiful wife, Eve, and my two children, Hank, age 10, and Susie, age 7. Um, I'm a recovering alcoholic um, for a number of years, so I spend a lot of time working in the recovery community, going to meetings, working with sponsees of mine, one-on-one with other alcoholics and addicts and and advocacy. Uh, It's no secret that I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm not ashamed of it, so I'm sort of out there doing that work. Um, As you mentioned, I'm the chair of the Arkansas JLAP Committee, which is like an employee assistance program for attorneys who really need it because we tend to be uh, the most prone of any profession to substance abuse disorders and mental health disorders. Uh, that's a volunteer position, uh, and I, you know, I spend a lot of time working on that. And I, uh, I make candles as my hobby. Really? And I give them away, and I don't sell them, and don't ask. I just, I just make them for fun, and I give them away. I've been doing that since I was about 12 years old. That is wildly interesting. It is, isn't it? So, wait, so I'm going to stop you there. Since, do it. Uh, all right. So, how do you how do you make the candles and and okay. what scents? Oh, any what, scent you can imagine. I don't make my own fragrance oil. I buy it okay. in bulk. So the same sort of stuff you would see in like a half ounce bottle at some store. I buy uh, five pound jugs or 25 pound jugs oh, wow. and and use that and mix it in with the wax. Uh, I've been doing this, my, I'm an only child, and my mother taught me how to make candles the most basic way when I was about 12 on some rainy day when I was, you know, <laughs> annoying her yeah, with yeah. boredom. And she taught me this thing, and, I, and it, was, it involves fire and oh, wow. hot, hot everything <laughs> and melting stuff and more fire, and I just took it and ran and have been running ever since. That um, is great. Yeah. That's great. It, What's your a, favorite scent? My current favorite is lemongrass. Okay. Uh, it's just a really good one, strong, good scent yeah. throw. You know, everybody seems to like it. I also like one called Midsummer's Night, which I believe is a knockoff of a Yankee candle fragrance, uh, but it's really good and strong, and I get it from some other company that just, that just you know, yeah, yeah. avoids copyright laws somehow and sells it to me, you know. so. <laughs> uh, but again, I'm not selling them, so right, I'm not right. flouting any away. laws. Give it away. Oh, also, I should mention before we move on, uh, Recently, I've become a master bingo caller with the Association of Arkansas Counties. Uh, <laughs> when we have our conferences uh, in person, when we can, uh, we like to have events set aside for folks who are coming along with other folks to the conference, but don't want to sit through boring training sessions yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, I tend to dress up in my cowboy outfit and call bingo for the, the wives. Bingo. We call them, but it's really spouses. <laughs> yeah, there are some like... men, um, and we have a really good time with that. That's good. That's good. Um, so I, I asked this of all of our wonky guests. Tell me what your theme song is. Thank you for the question, and thank you even more for warning me <laughs> that it was coming, because I wouldn't have an answer otherwise. Um, you probably get the answer a lot that I don't have one single theme song. Right. I'm, right. you know, I have I have two hundred of them, and depending on the day and what's going on, I'll have a song running through my head. Absolutely. So you know, lately. Here in the last week or so, I've been listening to She's a Rainbow by the Rolling Stones. She's like a rainbow, coming 
Uh, that's because, you know, Charlie Watts recently passed, drummer for the Rolling Stones, and also, shout out to the Ted Lasso fans, you know, the Christmas episode <laughs> in season two has has some plot about She's a Rainbow, oh, really? and it's really great, and I love rainbows, so it just, it checks all the boxes for me. Uh, we do have a theme song for our opioid litigation. Oh, really? That wasn't your question, but I'm going to tell it anyway. That's great. Uh, and that is Salvation Song by the Avet Brothers. We came for salvation. We came for family. And we've no been way. listening to that song since before we filed the, the complaint in on the Ides of March in 2018, and we're still listening to it today. Um, it really motivates that us. That tells you a little bit about how long the litigation has lasted. That's true, although actually it's turning out to be shorter than, than we feared. I think, I think so, too. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so speaking of that, g- give us a little bit about the basics uh, of the opioid litigation and what are the claims against the defendants? Okay. Um, our complaint is 150 pages long, and uh, it's very well done and concise, if you can believe that. <laughs> Um, I will try to answer this question in just a couple minutes for you. Uh, we, we have sort of a two-pronged strategy. There's the claims, which I'll address next. But first, our primary strategy from the beginning, before we even filed the complaint, was to do everything we could to unify the governments of Arkansas. And by that, I mean the state government, right. the counties, the 75 counties of Arkansas, and the over 500 cities in Arkansas. They are all potential plaintiffs in yeah. this litigation because they all represent the people and it's the people who are harmed by this epidemic. So we did that work on the front end and we created a case where we were able to file and now and, and have in our case as plaintiffs in one case, the state of Arkansas through a prosecuting attorney, okay. all 75 Arkansas counties, and all of the biggest Arkansas cities. Now, we couldn't go over 100 plaintiffs because of a federal law called the Class Action Fairness Act and our desire to keep the case in state court. So we then filed later a second case with all the rest of the cities. Okay. Um, so we officially have all those governments in litigation together, unified in Arkansas, and that's very important strategically. And that's unusual for... It's extremely unusual. In fact, we're still the only state that has managed to do that okay. in, in this in opioid litigation. And it clearly, we, we will always be the only that has managed to do yeah, that because it's, yeah. it's too late for anybody else. Everywhere, at least some, are actively in litigation. But what you see in most states is, you know, 150 different lawsuits, and each one has a different plaintiff, the state, one county, one city, something like that. And, and it's just this disorganized mess. Yeah. But we wanted to keep everything organized and unified from the beginning because we're all on the same team here and we're all seeking the same relief. So why shouldn't we be together from the front end? So we sure. did that. Okay. And we're, we're very glad we did for a lot of reasons, some of which I think we'll probably talk about. Yeah. Um, the claims that the governments all bring together are, they include negligence, common law public nuisance, which is what most of the, this litigation has come to be thought of. Uh, and then we also have several Arkansas-specific statutory claims under the um, Arkansas Uniform Narcotic Drug Act, under the Arkansas Controlled Substances Act, and under the Arkansas Drug Dealer Liability Act. Oh, goodness. Uh, that's not something you see in most... There's, I think there's only about one other state where they're, where they're doing a DDLA claim. But at the end of the day, these, these cases have become public nuisance cases, basically. Yeah. And so the way that works is you establish the nuisance that's been created. It's the defendant's fault or the defendant's plural. And the remedy is for them to be forced to abate the nuisance. And that's, that's the legal term. And that means fix the problem. Fix the problem. And Stop so it. <laughs> the remedy we're looking for is 
you who caused the the opioid epidemic, you fix the opioid epidemic. Okay. So that's a pretty darn good remedy considering the litigation we're yeah. in. We don't really need any other remedy, yeah. you know. Um, the liability theory is really quite simple, simpler than, than you would think. In a nutshell, opioid prescription opioid pills are controlled substances. They're not legal. They are illegal under by law except in the narrow circumstances where manufacturers, distributors, retailers, and everybody involved in the supply chain does everything exactly right and exactly according to law to legally sell them through prescriptions and move them through the supply chain through prescriptions. Part of that regulatory framework that is required to keep these drugs legal and make them not illegal drugs is all of these supply chain participants from manufacturer all the way down to the dispensing pharmacy are required to guard against diversion, illegal diversion of these drugs. They have to take steps actively to stop it if they see it, and they have to take preventive steps to prevent it from happening in the first instance. And all the companies in the supply chain have access to the Arcos database, which is real similar to data that you keep at at ACI, actually. It's just national, and it's slightly different. Um, And they they can see diversion when it happens, right? They're in the supply chain. Every single one of them can see it. They all have that access to see it. And so liability is crystal clear and easy and simple because we have rampant diversion over years in Arkansas and all across the country. You can look at that data and find examples of it right. all over the place. It's not just mere ignorance. It's, no. it's almost an intentional turning of the of exactly. the eye, right? It's not even a, it's not just the, you know, the sort of allegedly evil conspiracy of these defendants of greed to make lots of money. That's what started it. But the liability is not based on the marketing and all that stuff. That's not our case. That's just the story. Yeah. The liability is once you created this huge demand for you to profit off of by, and you're providing the supply, you have legal duties to guard against diversion. And you flouted those duties and you're therefore liable under Arkansas law. Good, good. So, so you clarified one of my questions there, which... I, th- I thought that the litigation had been filed separately by the state and the county. You are correct, okay. actually. So, so I'll uh, let me elaborate on that a little bit. All right. So I, we filed a case on the Ides of March 2018 with 75 counties, cities, and the state, but we brought the state's case through a prosecuting attorney. Okay. The elected prosecutor in the judicial district where we filed. Okay. Um, that was Scott Ellington at the time. He's now a judge. It has, the new prosecutor is Keith Cressman. He's still a named plaintiff in our okay. case as okay. the state. Uh, we did. We were interested in having the attorney general be be the attorney for the state in our case. Uh, but early on, you know, we were a little more ready to move forward than than the attorney general was. And it just got to a point where we had to file and we had this other way of doing it. So we went ahead and did it. She a few weeks later, the attorney general filed a case on behalf of the state in Pulaski County against three manufacturers who we were already suing. And then about a year later, she filed a case against uh, three distributors who we were already suing on behalf of the state. Um, and the good news is that even though we filed separately way back then, we have come together now. Okay. This year, just like we hoped we would from the beginning, we have worked since the spring of 2020 during the pandemic to negotiate a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, between among all the governments of Arkansas, the state, the counties, Excellent. and the cities, and that MOU unifies everybody and uh, controls our own destiny with any dollar that comes into Arkansas from opioid 
litigation. Great. Whether it's a settlement or a judgment or whatever it is, this MOU will always control, and we won't be controlled by some terms written by lawyers in Ohio right. that are for national stuff. You know, we're different. And you won't uh, be fighting each other. Exactly. Right, we've the... already come to agreement on exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to do it before the money starts coming. So there's no reason to be fighting when that happens because at that point we need to be fixing the problem. Right. And right. we're ready to do that. We've got the MOU. The governor and the attorney general signed it in July, and we've it's it's been signed on behalf of the counties and that's cities great. as well. That's great. That's that's complete news to me, so I'm glad yes, to hear that. Yes, it's not, right? uh, you know, <laughs> I, we, we haven't been doing any big press releases about it or anything, but it's important. It is very important. Um. So we've seen some settlements uh, come through against some of the defendants in, in these cases and from some other states. What do those settlements mean for your case, and is the case close to settling? There has been a lot in the news here in the last month or so about a potential national settlement. Uh, you've seen the number $26 billion floated around a yeah, lot. Yeah. Uh, this is a potential national settlement involving one of the big manufacturers, Johnson & Johnson, Janssen, Johnson & Johnson, yeah. and the three big distributors who are the same three that the AG is suing and that we're suing and that everybody's suing. And that's McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen. Which they pretty much own the market. There, they basically so. <laughs> have, they got over 90% of yeah. the d- drug distribution in America. Yeah. No, pretty much no matter what the drug is, I think. Uh, but certainly for <laughs> right. opioids. Um, so that's that potential settlement has been announced. It's over 300 pages long. It's the most complex settlement document any lawyer to look at has ever seen, including tobacco or anything else you can yeah. imagine. It's it's wildly complex, but it is out there now. It's been made public. The terms have been arrived at, and we're now in this six-month or so phase where we will see whether it's really going to go from potential to reality. And that starts with a one-month period for states to decide whether they want to participate uh, we're right around the deadline for that. Sometimes these things get moved around a little bit. I'm confident that, that Arkansas is in as a state, and we're going to let the attorney general and the, and the governor make that decision. And I think the AG has already indicated that she that Arkansas will say yes. And then it's not it's not official yet. Then you have a 120 day window for counties and cities okay. to decide whether to join. Um, and that $26 billion number is not guaranteed. Even if the settlement becomes a reality, that's just the maximum possible. Yeah. That's every penny these defendants may put in if everybody agrees and we have a, ma- a giant national settlement with just these defendants. Uh, it will be very important for any state to have the unity. And if, if, it, if, if this settlement or any settlement is considered a good idea for that state to be able to bring everyone on board together on that. And we're prepared to do that in Arkansas yeah. very easily if that's where we need to go. Yeah. We're, not, we're not there yet to make the official decision and turn in our signed papers, but it'll be coming around the end of this year. Uh, there are also, there's a bankruptcy involving Purdue, right, which right. has kind of become famous for the all the Sackler wrong reasons. The all. Sackler family is <laughs> in that bankruptcy. They're having to put in some billions. Purdue's not going to exist as its own company anymore. It's basically going to become this receiver for that. Uh, that pretty much owned by the governments and all of its profits will be hmm. contributed to settlement if the bankruptcy plan is approved. There's a second bankruptcy with the Malincrot defendants and then there's a bunch of leftover defendants still. So there will be, be likely be other settlements in the future or judgments or whatever. Right, We're not right. just going to let some go Continue because they weren't willing to settle. Um, but yeah, that's that's moving very, very quickly uh, and, and as appear- these things go. Yeah, what would appear to be likely a you know a decade of litigation and all of these things is 
it, it could come to a close pretty quickly. Absolutely, and we, totally guessing, of course, especially me, because I've never even been on this side of the V in litigation, yeah. really, much <laughs> less this type of case involving Big Pharma and stuff. I'm a defense lawyer yeah. by trade, but um, we told our clients to expect five to seven years for this type of litigation and that that would be, that would be ambitious because that's for a normal big pharma case, yeah. not this size and scope. Well, we're at, we're not even at year four right now since we filed our case. That's amazing. Right. So we're actually doing great. So I, I've been a pretty consistent voice uh, that the settlement proceeds should be devoted to substance use treatment and prevention, but also to research and, and infrastructure to provide more transparency into this realm, which which we know is not the case currently. What are your thoughts on on those proceeds going to those causes? I I have so many thoughts about this, but I will <laughs> summarize by saying I fully agree with you, Craig. I fully <laughs> agree with you. Uh, I appreciate your advocacy. Um, we're going to need more of that from as many voices as we can get. Um, of course, the lawyers like me are not going to be the ones making these decisions, and that's right. a good thing. That's a good thing. We don't want lawyers making these decisions. Um, we are doing everything we can now that we have that MOU, and we possibly have settlement coming, you know, maybe maybe money flowing as soon as next year. Yeah. Uh, we are now working on creating a structure uh, that I'll call the abatement phase of the litigation to, uh, to control what happens with money that comes in with settlement dollars. Now, keep in mind, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, what city, county, state in the country, any settlement money is going to be subject to court supervision. It will have to be spent yes. on abatement of this opioid epidemic, no matter what. We cannot go do Which random other things. extremely important. Right, because absolutely. If, we fully support If the legislature that. or other people get their hands on these dollars, it could go wherever. I mean, right? <laughs> what we want is the legislature to be involved in streamlining the process and making it work the way it's supposed to, and maybe even one day the legislature decides to kick in some funds on top of what is already being generated from the litigation. Right. We'll see. But so we're we're now we're working on drafting legislation, and by we I mean the state lawyers with the governor's office, the AG's office, me me for the counties, yeah. and folks for cities, and we're all working together as a team, just like we should be, and we're drafting this legislation to create a commission um, and an advisory panel to receive and disperse these types of settlement funds moving forward. Um, it's looking really good. That, We've basically promising. all agreed on the details. We're, when, and if all of the government lawyers agree. are in agreement, I mean, the governor, the AG, the, everybody who's important for counties and cities and all the lawyers, there's no dissent about where we're at right now, wow. which is wonderful. So we have briefed leadership of the House and Senate, and we plan to try to put forth a bill and, and hope, hope it comes out the way it needs to so that we have our structure ready to receive money. And then we'll be looking for, <clears throat> well, we won't be, but the appointing authorities in, within this legislation will be looking for people to put on this board yeah. and this advisory panel and staff it up the, as well as we can and, and have everything in place so that we are ready to go. That's great. And yeah. a level of transparency about Absolute where transparency. that money's going. Yeah, there's great. no, I mean, this is public money. This will be a public board. We, I've, we've not been doing anything in secret in this case ever other than sometimes hiding things from def from the uh, defendant's <laughs> lawyers a little bit when we need to strategically. Just, just but, doing you know. your job. Just right, exactly. Job. Other than lawyer stuff, we're, we're wide open. <laughs> All right, so so the focus of the litigation, of, of y'all's litigation, 
uh, has been on the drug manufacturers and distributors, but we all know that there are more culprits here, right? That is correct, in my opinion, or I should say, allegedly. <laughs> um, you know, I'm. We don't have uh, verdicts against anyone, so you know, as a lawyer, you you got to be careful talking right, about these right. types of things. So, uh, according to a future complaint we may file, allegedly. Um, and other complaints that have been filed. There's also the retail level, which we need to look very closely at. Okay. We've the manufacturers have been defendants from the beginning. Pretty soon thereafter, the distributors were brought in, and yep. that's a whole level of the distribution chain. Uh, we were one of the first to to just to file a lawsuit with the distributors, but that's just because we wanted to have all the plaintiffs and all the defendants in our case. Right. So we we put everybody in there. But we but nobody was even talking about the retail level at that time. So we don't have retailers. In our case, but um, the big pharmacies, Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, yeah. are are definitely involved, whether they like it or not. And it is likely that um, there there will be some settlements involving them too. We'll see. There's not anything that's anywhere near public right now sure, that that sure. you're going to see in the news. But involving we know there's, there's peremptory litigation that Walmart's absolutely filed and trying to protect and I, themselves. I mean. I'd I'd like to set up our receiving structure for Arkansas in a way that is as wide open as possible to receive contributions from other sources, including if the legislature wants to put in money or the federal government wants to put in money or maybe some potential defendant who's not a defendant yet wants to make some real large charitable contribution (laughs) and maybe and they get tax benefits for that so they can give more and maybe we go ahead and do a liability release at the same time and there's never any litigation with that defendant you know that option would be might be nice to have in the future nice slick option man we're thinking about everything we can and trying to just always be one step ahead and have everything as ready to go as possible that's great so i know this is a big big part of your your time on the opioid litigation, but I, I did want to ask you about anything in your career about the uh, fun or interesting case that you that you might have had. Yes, my career has been almost entirely fun and interesting <laughs> cases for a long time now. Um, I've come to believe that excitement follows me everywhere I go because I thought when I left the AG's office to go be with the counties that I would drift off into anonymous obscurity, <laughs> obscurity, you know, uh, but then we, like, practically the day I got there, we decided we're going to sue Big Pharma over the opioid epidemic. Um, so, I mean, this current case is, is my is is my personal favorite, probably because I'm in the middle of it right yeah, now, you yeah. know, but uh, I was the lawyer for the AG's office who handled Arkansas's same-sex marriage litigation. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say that that was fun, but it was very interesting, and in a lot of ways, as a lawyer, as a professional, it was it was extremely fun, challenging, landmark, uh, you know, difficult, yeah. and right there, front lines of a civil rights movement yeah. that that came to full fruition on that issue through the Supreme Court. Yeah. You know, June 26, twenty fifteen, with the Obergefell decision. For years leading up to that, I was hot and heavy with Arkansas's. State litigation, federal litigation, the Arkansas Supreme Court, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Louis, oral argument at the Arkansas Supreme Court, crazy briefing, you know, all this stuff related to that case. And it was an honor. I, I, I personally, I don't think it's any secret. I love rainbows and stuff. I'm, I'm for equality <laughs> personally, but I had a job to do. And there were good faith arguments I was able to present throughout. And I did that without um, a problem. And I believe firmly that the judicial branch works the best when 
both sides have excellent representation and give the court the best arguments right. on both sides so that then Judge Piazza can rule against me knowing that I've already made the best arguments and he can still reject them and he didn't miss something. You yeah. know what I mean? Or I, or my side wins if it's the better argument because we've got the best arguments in front of the, in front of the court. Um, it was just, it was just an amazing experience and, um, you know, I'll never forget it. Made a lot of friends, managed to not really make any enemies. Yeah. And, um. That's hard to do as an attorney. Yeah, uh, it, because, it really I mean, is. Your job is to, is to, yeah. is to argue. But I mean, I made a point to to befriend my opposing counsel in that litigation immediately. You know, yeah. I called them before they even knew who I was, and and had conversations with them and said, introduce myself and said, this is how I roll. You know, I'm yeah. going to be honest. I'll let you know what's coming when it's coming. I'm going to do my job, so don't mess up because I will have to pounce if you do. <laughs> you know, don't make a don't make a procedural error here because you will you will regret it because then I'm obligated to yeah. to to move on that. But you know, we're going to streamline this. I told them, and we there's just it was the perfect case to just argue the law yeah. and not get caught up in uh, details about facts because the facts don't really matter in that question. Yeah. You know. The plaintiffs want to get married. They're same-sex couples. They have they have great relationships. They're committed. Whatever facts the plaintiffs feel like they need, fine. The law still has to be constitutional under those facts. Right. Right. So we just argued the law, and you know, I guess for on the state side, we had the lowest attorneys' fees in same-sex marriage litigation <laughs> in the country, and I take a little credit for that. Yeah. Um. But anyway, it was you know I I I just. I still feel honored today, years later, that I got to participate yeah. in that. Certainly, it's it's clear you're 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 proud of that. But I I did have one final question, um, and it may be it may be that case. But of of what in your career are you most proud? It is related to that case, and it's kind of a weird answer, but it's it's the true answer um, because I felt this way for a long time, and I've come to realize that it is the single thing I'm most proud of. Um, when, well, in the weeks leading up to the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell v. Hodges, mm-hmm. uh, it was clear that the court was going to go one way or the other. And we were going to have a rule, yeah. you know, from the U.S. Supreme Court. We, we won't know until we see it what that rule will be. But you kind of kn- knew coming into it if they rule for the plaintiffs and say whether they say it's because you have a fundamental due process right to marriage or because of an equal protection violation. It doesn't really matter what the legal reasoning is if the outcome is states must allow same-sex couples to marry, we are immediately going to get inundated at the AG's office with questions from clerks and state officials and county and city, and everybody's going to be in a panic about what do we do now. So I drafted a succinct one-page memo in advance that would be from the Attorney General to all state and local officials in Arkansas, giving them the advice they need about the Obergefell decision. And I, I ran that up the chain internally, and we worked it up, and I, and I got advance permission that if Obergefell came down that way, we would release this memo immediately the same day and do a press release and, and properly advise everyone about the change in the law. How they were to and, proceed. And we did that. And we, we told them same-sex couples have to be treated exactly the same as opposite-sex couples in matters regarding civil marriage and all the related rights and benefits that go with that, which is basically the rule. Good good luck finding that exact quote in Justice Kennedy's opinion, <laughs> but I promise you that's the rule. Yeah. And we pushed that out the same day, and we did not have any crazy 
clerks refusing to do their job. We did not have you these didn't problems have the, the in Brown Arkansas. Board of Education we, issues. That, we just, yeah. it was like the Supreme Court ruled and all of Arkansas said, okay, well, we read the AG's one-page memo. Yeah. We know what we're supposed to do we now. We're good. <laughs> we're good, you know? And and that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been on top of that and decided this is this is the right thing to do and how we're going to do it. You know, it's, it's very important because, you know, people look at attorneys and they, they say, well, they just create disruption. And... That's that's a point at which, you know, you 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 created a plan for everybody to, out of all of the disruption that was expected to occur, it went smoothly. Exactly. I mean, I can't say it went perfectly smoothly. Of course, we sure. still had some sure. some folks who wanted to push back and do some things, but we didn't we didn't become nationally famous for people, you know, continuing to litigate or refusing to do their non discretionary yeah. job, you know, duties and stuff like that. Yeah. We. We really did well, considering that we were one of the states that had that had constitutionalized the traditional definition of marriage. Yeah. Um, we probably did the best of any of those states moving forward after Obergefell hit, because because we immediately told everybody what they needed to know about it and and how to move forward. Well, um, I see you've got plans in place when a settlement occurs in the opioid litigation. So I hope to. Have you back on the show when uh, when that happens? I'm not going to say if it happens. I'm going to say when it happens. I, I, yes, let's go with when. There's There's got to be something at the end of this rainbow. Uh, and yes, I'd love to come back. Or I can get, we have we have a big team. It's not just me. <laughs> we got lots of other talkers too. Plenty of lawyers. Sure. We got elected officials. We got all sorts of folks who I'm probably sure. love to come talk to you. Well, so. th- thanks Anytime. So, thanks so much for, for being on the show, Colin. I've enjoyed having you. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening to Wonks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, The views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. And again, thanks for listening.